between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. tonight we thank you for your mercy we thank you for your kindness towards us but we thank you for every single time that we gather here you gather with us but we thank you for your spirit which you are given to us Father we just appreciate your spirit. We appreciate your your love, your kindness to us every day. Even today again as we have come before you. Simply our exalted Father in Jesus' name. Father, we are coming here again with meekness of heart, submitting to your spirit for the purpose of inheriting your kingdom, coming into all the blessings which you have kept for us in heavenly places. We are here, Father, by your mercy, not by strength, not by might, but by your spirit. Father, tonight we pray that as we have gathered, you will bless us much more with your spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord God, we don't know even what to pray for. Our Lord Jesus, we come here just looking to you in all lowliness, and meekness of heart we come to you again Father we ask that you will cause your blessing to flow and pour upon us in the mighty name of Jesus Father we ask Lord that as we move into the word oh Father we ask for you to open your face upon each and every one of us in the mighty name of Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, we know that you are particular about what you are teaching us. We know that even as you are teaching, you are looking forward for fruits of righteousness. We ask, Father, that as we gather tonight even to hear, we pray that we won't just hear again, but that which we will hear will bear fruit in each and every one of us in the mighty name of Jesus. And I will pray, O oh Lord, that the skill to have usage of your word, which we will hear, we ask that you will give to each and every one of us in the mighty name of Jesus. But I will pray, O oh Lord, for grace. Father, in our weaknesses, 
we might have even let your word sleep sometimes. We ask for grace, O oh Lord, that you have mercy upon each and every one of us tonight again, even to come much more into tenacity of holding your word with strength in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will bless us with understanding tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, wherever there is gap in our understanding, we ask, Father, that by your Spirit, you will make provision even to fill in the gaps in the mighty name of Jesus. Wherever we are not yet yielding to that which you have already said, we ask for mercy to be a fruit to them in the name of Jesus. Father, I come unto you tonight and I submit myself to your Spirit. And I submit myself to the leading of your spirit. I ask, Lord, that you will guide my lips. And you would make it the tongue of a ready writer tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus. But I pray, oh Lord, that you would turn. You would turn me. You would direct me. You would lead me. And help me to align under you. Under your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I have no strength of my own. I have no ambition of my own. I just submit to you totally tonight, totally in my will, yielding to you, yielding in all meekness that you have mercy on this frail vessel in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we ask for mercy for your word. Let it open up and bless each and every one of us in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, because you've answered our prayers. We give you all the praise. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and worshipped. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I welcome us here tonight. Amen. If you just take a moment to just say hello to your neighbor. It's good to see you. And I hope you mean it. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see our faces here again. And uh, we're trusting God that we will receive blessing tonight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm glad that uh, we were able to start early. And uh, by God's mercy, hopefully we'll be able to finish early today as well. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So I feel today is much more of a, of a follow-up class. And um, I know we, we started looking at the, the tabernacle and the courts. How they are, the way the, the, the tabernacle is arranged as well as the court. And uh, I believe that was that has been ongoing for I was if not up to a year that we have been trying to actually look at that, but we were led either to Amen. But finally, we were able to land and actually go through it. So I have a question for us. I mean, was there? We're able to finish our assignment. Amen. So did we finish our assignment? 
Amen. Amen. Uh, Holy Spirit is our is our lecturer. We'll just, we'll just you know ask you to see but we'll see shall. Amen. Amen. So for, for do we have anybody? Amen. Do we have anybody that was uh, able to finish the assignment? No? Were you able to finish the assignment? No. Okay. Amen. I guess I guess we're all busy, eh? <laughs> Amen. Okay. I know eh? I mean it's not even that long ago. I mean is it that long? I'm pretty sure if we read I mean I mean let me see how long And if you read one, one, one chapter a day, I'm pretty sure we would have finished it by then, yeah? But I know somebody forgot, so... I mean, that would have happened. For those that didn't forget, one chapter a day would have been sufficient, eh? But it's okay. We'll continue from where we stopped on Saturday. Amen. Amen. But I'm just hoping that you people will encourage my heart. Eh? So that... I guess we we'll, we we'll just breeze a little bit through what we just what we went through on Saturday, and then we'll see where we go from there. Amen. And uh, lest I forget, one of the main reason why I had to go this route is just to explain to us the the arrangement of the the tabernacle, which includes where it is placed, which is in the courts of the congregation, amen, uh, according to Exodus 40. Now, let me, well, the part of that is also to explain Second Corinthians chapter 4 that we have been going through, right, to explain the commanded light of God. Um, just before we continue, I think I'm going to ask again, I know I asked on Saturday, but I'm going to ask again today. Um, I would like to ask, um, do we remember what we thought concerning 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Yeah? So, can someone remind us? Yeah? I know we've been going on that particular passage for like weeks, if not months. Is it up to a month? I don't think so, but maybe... Fifty month. I think since this is May. This entire I think that's what we were on this entire this entire wait to wait May, right? <laughs> this entire May. I think that was the major, major, major I think so. That was the major verse. Wow, a whole month, one verse. Jesus is Lord. Amen. So can someone I guess maybe we'll see if the Lord will lead us out of that scripture to another one. But it had another another subordinate scripture that I was supposed to use to to explain what I was explaining, but I guess the Lord had us stay there a bit. Maybe it's because God wants us to understand. So can someone please just give me a quick a quick so not maybe not summary, but what do you understand from that scripture or what we've been teaching so far? Just from that particular passage. Second Corinthians chapter four verse six. 
Amen. Oh yeah, go ahead. Do you have anything you want to add to it? I, don't, I just don't want us to lose focus of what we've been learning and why we are here, right? Um, amen. amen. So, in that second Corinthians chapter 4, to the, the verse, I mean, by now, like I said, Second Corinthians chapter four, chapter four, verse six. By now, I'm pretty sure we should be able to quote it off head. Can we quote it off head? I mean, that's what we. That, that, eh, can we quote it? Oh, yeah. Let's let's all of us quote it off head. Aha, awesome. I mean, now, that, now that we can all recite it, that means that we should be able to explain what it means. Amen. Amen. So, Joya said that, man, she mentioned a couple of things, right? She, um, she said that God commanded light to shine and out of darkness, and that darkness is talking about the sanctuary. Can somebody help me explain that further? Jesus, and I know you've spoken a lot about it, and you said that 
that light there that God has commanded to shine out of darkness, like Joy said, that darkness there is is a thick darkness can be equivalent to the thick darkness where God resides. And I know you also mentioned the sanctuary that it, it can also be the sanctuary because in where when you enter the tabernacle, there's the holy place and then there's the most holy place. And those places they are dark. They are very dark. But in the sanctuary there's a light there. The light there is from the candlestick. And that darkness, this darkness here you're talking about there that is talking about I remember you said it's not like evil darkness. This is darkness coming from the tabernacle, which is the holy place, causing it to shine, commanding light to shine out of that holy place, to shine in our heart. And that light that is shining is the life of Christ that is being showing us, shining light to us, to to show the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So what that light is shining is is bringing knowledge to to our soul so as the way our soul receives that light is true knowledge so that's how god gives that light and that light is like i said before coming out of the sanctuary and it's passed towards true knowledge to lighten up the darkness in our soul to bring the knowledge of christ to remove the darkness now so i know we've traveled from sight eyes light how we see into that's how we journeyed into this verse when we're talking about the light, the eye of the the light of the body is the eye, something like that. And then if the eye be single, the body is full of light. And then we travel down to the scripture. I'm not sure how we, we entered here, though, but we have actually dwelt here for a long time. Um, how the Lord is, how knowledge comes. We talked about how knowledge comes. How knowledge is interpreted by the soul. Because the soul is the word of knowledge. There's nothing the soul can receive that is not the, the soul cannot actually receive anything that is not knowledge. And in in this in this um, in this uh, verse also, I remember you mentioned last Tuesday that the, only, the people that can actually receive that this light that is shining is someone that has been elevated from being a natural man like a natural man cannot receive this light that is shining because this is the life of christ remember you mentioned something like that last year that the man the soul has to be elevated to a point where he can receive this kind of light yeah so mm. that's my issues mm. amen You mentioned something about the dark, the darkness equivalent to thick darkness. So, what is the thick darkness? The thick darkness is, is I would say, is my own understanding is where God dwells is is the invisibility of God, where we cannot, like where man cannot reach. Reach God, like that's where God is invisible, where it's not accessible. Somebody cannot just come into that darkness that, and find God there. But God is causing light to shine out of there, and like I can equate that darkness to the most holy place. Mm. 
Okay. That is actually shining light. It's shining light from there, also into the sanctuary, which is also a dark place. How is it shining light into the sanctuary? Okay. I remember you said before that it stopped to me. It said before that. I hope I'll be able to quite understand. You said before that light comes from the most holy place and at different stages. It, 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 it comes to the soul by knowledge, right? And then you said that light can be interpreted, can come to a soul that's just a born again, that's at the court. I know you use the Israelite to describe it. Yeah. So that light can also reach, it comes at different. Okay, I'm trying to. I'm so bad at words, I'm sorry. It reaches a different growth of the soul, or a different stage, stage of the soul, or a different, um, different building of the soul. I would say that's how that light comes to that soul to help the soul to move. Okay. So this light is coming from the throne of God, which is, which is uh, being represented as the most holy place according to the tabernacle so that light is keeps shining as it's shining so the question is how is it shining it's coming through knowledge okay how <laughs> okay. That is, i'm sure it's all of us that is trying to answer that question in our hearts are we? <laughs> now, now there's a reason why i'm asking these questions right okay in the sense that there's a way things would would sit line upon line, yeah. precept upon precept. Now, when teaching is going on, right, and we are, you know, maybe we are sitting down and we are, we are teaching for like two, three hours, even those two, three hours, the simple thing that those two, three hours will be teaching could be something as simple as light shine from darkness to light, and then explaining, just explaining that from darkness to light, maybe the whole three hours. And the purpose of that is to give an understanding of what the scripture is saying about light shining or God taking us from darkness. Just, just to give us an example, right? That is core or part of what we learn. Right? I mean, it's also a, I guess, I mean, I'm not sure I'm expecting everybody to also, you know, naturally just have it like that in the sense, but it's over time as we begin to listen, right? And if you've been listening for a while, part of the skill we should gain that will help us a lot is being able to identify the 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 message, right? And that that can let me say the best way to get that is to be able to follow the message, right? Now, following the message means that you are following the thoughts of the message. Which over time you yourself will be not be able to use in your own personal time, right? So, and where the understanding really sits is during your own time where you are thinking back on what was thought and then trying to establish the truth in your heart. Does that make sense? That is then where you now see where that now throws you into a world. Where Holy Ghost can now begin to explain things to you. And then Holy Ghost can add scripture. To, it may not be only the scripture we read, can then add scripture to you. Scriptures you know. Begin to add it to you. 
Now you begin to get understanding. But that doesn't happen if you don't think on them. Amen. Now, so, I guess I'm just saying that to encourage us so that it will help us. Amen. So I'm going to ask you some questions before we come. Uh, amen. Now, it's, it's, it's just to... to, to, to I, I don't know. Did we get, get what she, she said? Now, you actually get almost all of it. In short, you get, you get the summary of it. It's just certain aspect that we need to put line upon line, precept upon precept, right? So that it is clear. In the sense that when you say thick darkness, it's different from darkness, right? So you're not mentioning light shining from thick darkness. So the question is, how is that light shining? We must be able to see how, because scripture must be able to tell us how that light is shining. Amen. Now, to explain, the light in the thick darkness does not really shine to the holy place. Does that make sense? Because the light there is not light. The light there is glory. Now, I guess where the under, where where the secret or where the key is to this is understanding. When you say thick darkness, darkness, we should be able to identify what the difference is. Thick darkness means the darkness is much more than just when you say something is in darkness, right? When you say thick darkness, it means thick darkness is of a higher degree of darkness than normal darkness, right? Because it is thick. Does that make sense? Now, that should give us a, a base for what we should think about, right? And they say, okay, so why? What's the difference, right? Then we now realize that the key there, or part of why, we, part of why I was explaining the old tabernacle yeah. is actually explaining this to us. And I think I mentioned it on Saturday in a measure. Or when we see the... the I don't know if I should close this window. Amen. When we see the, so, Madam, please, uh, uh, it's very important that you hear what I'm saying. Okay. So, um, this is not. Uh, let me let me close this window. I think that uh, I think the, this is the, the bike is making a little bit of a mess. I think it's better now. Amen. So there is a the light in the most holy shines, right? But when it shines, it is shining to somebody that have been able to pass through a light that he commanded. Because the light in the and you were right when you mentioned that the thick darkness is in the most holy, and that is true. Now, on Saturday, when we now look at the arrangement, you realize that in the most holy, there is nothing that gives light whatsoever in that place. That place is just dark. No light whatsoever. Right? When you move into the holy place, then you have the candlestick or the candlelight. So, that means that even though the holy place is dark, it is not entirely dark because there is a candlelight there which shines. 
good chance light in that area. Right? But when you're now moving to the most holy, there's no candle, there's no sun or motion in there. If that's the case, it means that there is no way any form of light can find way into that place. So that place will be will be dark, will be of thick darkness. Right? So that is well, that, that's what I was explaining concerning the thick darkness. And then I use the scripture in the book of First King. When Solomon finished the temple, then I said, God that dwells in thick darkness. Now, also in the book of Exodus, let me see if I can find it in Exodus. Because I know it was mentioned there as well. Because for me, that's the first place I really, I under, I, let's say I realized, I was, I was also curious. When I saw that God dwells in darkness, I was confused. I'm like, God is light now. What's he doing in darkness? Right? Um, I don't know if I'm right, but let me see if it's in 18. Let me find my, my other book. It means that I'm not going to talk for long today. Today might be just catching up. I, I mean, I'm not even in a hurry. If we don't have uh, enough time, but I really, really encourage us. Okay, let me ask. Did we did our Bible throughout the week? Okay, we are good. Because if, 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 if we didn't read our Bible, I thought we, are, we have a problem. So... Amen. Amen. Let me see if I can find uh because of time I mean I'm in Russia but I know it's in Exodus, so I'm trying to find the passage in Exodus that also explains. I know it's First King um, eight verse twelve that talks about the um, the darkness. But just to give us another um, another passage. Amen. Amen. So when we give us all these passages, do we go out home at least and read it at, at small? Just read it. No one will make notes. Though it's possible for us to make notes and write it down, we don't go and read it. But it's good to read. Let me see if I find it. <laughs> Amen. So in verse 20, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19 to 20, it says, and they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Now this was when I was explaining concerning when God called Israel to come to the mount. And they said, No, we will not. This is terrible. Moses, go. Go talk to God. When God speaks to you, come and tell us. Right? So that, that's verse 19. Sorry, verse 20. 
19 actually. Then verse 20. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that ye see not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness. See? Where God was. Amen. Amen. So Moses what drew closer or moved near unto the thick darkness. Amen. Amen. That's that's talking about where God is a place where God is. Right? Now we now see that in the arrangement of the tabernacle where the most holy had no light, which shows that that is a place of thick darkness. And that is where God communes with Moses. Because that's where they place the Ark of the Covenant. Right? And God spoke to Moses. says, from in between the cherubims or the mercy seat, from where he will commune with him. Right? Meaning he will speak to him from there. Now, that, typically that's basically just where God, where, that's where God lands when he lands in the tabernacle. You won't find God in the holy place. You won't find God outside in the court. The only place where you find God, where God begins to minister to the high priest, is in the most holy. Amen. Amen. So, that, just to give us uh, an insight into uh, just explaining that area of take darkness. And I think, uh, seeing that there's no light there, right? Really, there is no light shining from the most holy to the holy place right it is there is no light there it's only when God landed that the, the glory of God will lighten the place does that make sense so it's good for us to have it set and settled amen uh, I think I'll go back to Exodus but but then but I think the we understand the rest of the explanation right because she, she explained pretty much uh, the, the things and I think that uh, one other question that I have for us is <laughs> yeah because I'm remembering now because also she mentioned things concerning um, the light so I want, to, I, want to, I want to ask us do you know what the light is I'm pretty sure she already mentioned it too I'm just checking Sorry? Knowledge. Light is what? Knowledge. Okay. What do you say? What what is light in scripture? Yeah. Like we've been reading. Because most of the, the reason why I'm asking is because most of the thing we're talking about is actually tied to light. So if you don't understand what light is, it may be maybe a little bit difficult to put things in perspective, right? So, I just want us to get, so what is light? When scripture says light, what is, what is it talking about? How God communicates to, how God communicates knowledge to his soul. The answer is actually what Sanami said. Oh. I was just asking, just to say to her, because I know sometimes... <laughs> What's that? Just to see if we understand, right? The answer is what she says: that light is knowledge. 
light really is knowledge, right? So, how God gives it is by causing it to shine. Does that make sense? So, when God causes the light to shine, then we know that he is giving the knowledge. Now, a light might be there. If it's not shining, you you will never know that it's a light. Right? So, light really is knowledge. Now, what that tells us is that everything has light. Does that make sense? The chair you are sitting on is a light. Right? Why? Because when you begin to study it, you study a chair. When you begin to study it and try to learn it, the light, the, the chair will begin to give its light to you. How? You begin to understand it. That is how a chair is. This is what comes together to put a, a chair together. Oh, a chair is for sitting. All those things that you are realizing is actually light. Because it is knowledge. Right? So, light, according to scripture, is knowledge. So, when I'm now talking about light shining, when I'm talking about light in the holy place, we're talking about light in the holy place, we're talking about light in the most holy, sorry, light in the holy place, light outside the tabernacle, that should explain to us that these are actually different phases of knowledge. Because there are different phases of light. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the question I want to ask is, the next question I want to ask is, So we know, we know that light is knowledge, right? Okay. Now the next question I want to ask is concerning part of what we are learning on Saturday. And it's... Okay. I mean, if this is what we do throughout today, I think it's okay. I'm not in a rush anyways. But we'll see how God will lead us. Amen. Now, I wanted to ask, um, what is the sanctuary? Who knows what the sanctuary is? Okay. You are you're asking me a question back. <laughs> Um, 
So, were you able to follow on Saturday? No, but okay. I remember. But you remembered. So, Anita, that is, I've talked about it before. Okay. So, because on, on Saturday, we actually talked about the hand. And this is actually not making sense. So, now I have a question for you. So, what is the tabernacle? I know you people know these things. So what's the tabernacle? Because now, when there is still... What, what, what I'm trying to make us see is this. Now realize that when you don't know what sanctuary, tabernacle, all these things are, when I mention them, you won't really understand what I'm saying. Right? Because you don't know what I'm talking about. But you tried. You tried. But I, I want to ask, what is... Because now the, the question now is I'm seeing that there was a confusion between sanctuary and the tabernacle. So I want to make it, I want us to review so it is clear. So what is the tabernacle? The tabernacle is, is what has both the sanctuary and the most holy place. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, that's it. So the tabernacle is the tent, yeah. right? Inside the tent you have the holy place and the most holy. Hey, that reminds me. You do you, you drew the the the, the you, you drew it right? Okay, can you open it and let's see? I mean, so that in case it is not accurate, you can also correct it. I can't see clearly. <laughs> You have it here now. You have it here. Okay. I guess, I guess it's just a little bit. But, but I'm not seeing it. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. You actually have it there. You have it there. You have, you have the expo there. Amen. Amen. Although, although, although I don't understand because your writing is very, very. It looks like a doctor writing. You know, very. The lettering is, you know, this one, these are the ones that you find in computers. You know, very nice writing, but we see that it is clear. That, but then let's go to Exodus 40. So, part of the reason why I had to branch to teach the tabernacle, or just to show us the arrangement there, is because when I was teaching that Second Corinthians chapter 4, I realized that I'm mentioning the, the the holy place sanctuary and part of my concern and my worry is that we don't have the way the scripture puts things together, right? So when I'm saying it, you may not understand where I'm coming from. And then I'll read chapter Exodus chapter 40. I'll read from verse 1. And it was a very short... Um, like it was a very short aspect of that entire chapter 40 that talked about the old tabernacle but let's read it and the lord spake unto moses saying on the first day of the month shall thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and thou shalt put therein you see it's in the tabernacle you have what the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. And thou shalt bring in the table. 
and set in under the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick and light the lamps thereof. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And on, on Saturday, I was showing us how this thing was, was being laid out, right? That the way God was talking to Moses in this chapter was... He was setting, he almost like, I don't know if, you, if, if, we, if we see all these computer programs that you have that shows a model where you maybe create a video of something then you play it, then you see things start dropping, two, 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 the arranging. When one is finished arranging, now notice that it's arranging maybe a structure, right? We can see maybe God doing something like that here. We don't know that. Ah, I mean, have you seen, have you seen like maybe an advert? Well, maybe you just see, like, blocks. We just drop. Then we'll, we'll raise the structure, and then by the time everything is done, you notice that they've actually displayed maybe an arrangement that you're able to see, but you didn't see it at the beginning. Just that things were dropping gradually, gradually, and then all of a sudden you see, oh, that's what they were doing, right? I'm saying something that God is doing something like that here. So the way he's doing it is dropping it one by one. Set up the tent. Inside the tent. They drop the ark. They drop the veil. They drop the altar. They drop the table, right? They actually drop the table, drop the candle, then drop the altar, and then drop the door, and then drop the the altar of burnt uh, offering, right? So the we should pay attention to what the scripture was mentioning here, right? Say so you shall in verse two. So it says, on the first day of the month shall thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of... So that's what they mentioned, the tabernacle, right? Then, then I started saying, and thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony. So the first thing they put is the ark, which is in the most holy, right? And then, he said, you shall put a veil. Right? And thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with a veil. Right? Now that is talking about the second veil according to Paul in Hebrews 8 or 9. Hebrews 9, I think. Right? So Paul called it the second veil because it is the last veil. Right? There was a veil before then, but they've not explained that veil to us here yet. Right? So you drop the veil, so you, you, we are coming from the most only outward the most holy, then drop the ark, then you have the veil that separates the most holy from the holy place. Right? Then, after the veil, then they said, and thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. So, they said now in the holy place, you put a table. Right? This table, that's the table we call the table of the shoe bread. Right, because you have to place bread on it. I mean, of course, like I mentioned, you have to read those Exodus, right, from 25 to the end. Even go to Leviticus, possibly, 
to see how God was commanding Moses and asking him to put things in order. Amen. Now, you have to read all these passages to just have a picture of how things you know, come together. Right? It's, it's not, I don't think this alone says it's enough to actually have a full definition of things. But this just gives the basic background. Right? But to define things properly, libel and precept and precept, we'll have to read and go through it. And I would encourage us again, read the passages. Read the passages. Exodus 25 to 40. And if you have time, read Leviticus. Leviticus. How many of us know the windows? They have a character. The character is called Brother Leviticus. It reminds me of Leviticus every time they talk about his name. So since we don't watch it, so maybe you know, so I'm not going to use it as an example. But there's a character there called Brother Leviticus. Brother Leviticus is always doing things. Amen. Yeah? The windows. Amen. So, she says, And thou shalt bring in the table, and says another, and says, And thou shalt bring in the candlestick, and light the lamps thereof. So, we have the table, we have the candlestick, then they have to light up the light in there, right? And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle. Right? Now I'm missing, I did not talk about the the altar of incense, did I? So they bring the table, verse 4. And thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the thing that is set there upon it. And thou shalt bring the candlestick and light the lamps thereof in hand. Verse 5. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony. Right? So they are now placing an altar just before the veil. Right? Before you move into the most holy. It's called the altar of incense. Before the ark of the testimony. And put the hanging. Right? And put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. So, this hanging of the door is talking about the first veil, right? That is the veil that sealed the tabernacle, right? So you have the veil before, or you have the veil after the ark, then you have the veil that seals the tabernacle, mm -hmm. right? So those are two veils you have there. Then you have the, you have seen the furniture that they put inside the tabernacle, right? And they call it the tabernacle of the tent, right? Of the congregation. Because the tabernacle is a tent. Right? So, the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Because where people will congregate, right? Really, is in the court. Right? So, the tabernacle is the tent in that court. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, we have that. Then, we have in verse 6, when it says, And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and thou shalt set the lava between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and shall put water therein. And thou shalt set up the court round about, and hang up the hanging 
at the court gate. Amen. Now, they finish setting up the tabernacle. But we can read the rest just to see what else God instructed Moses. But it's much more really concerning the rest of the instruction God gave him earlier. But I'll just quickly read it. Uh, maybe a few other verses and then we'll, we'll go from there. And thou shalt set up the court around about the verse 9. And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein and shall allow it and all the vessels thereof and it shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels and sanctify the altar and it shall be and shall be an altar most holy. And thou shalt anoint the lava and his foot and sanctify it. And thou shalt bring Aaron and his son unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. And, and thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garment and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus did Moses... According to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent above upon it, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he took and put the testimony into the ark, and set the stars on the ark, and put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, and set up the veil of the covering, and covered the ark of the testimony, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the temp table in the tent of the congregation, upon the side of the tabernacle, northward without the veil, and he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So you are seeing that he's placing bread now on the table, right? Uh, then he put the candlestick, he light the lamps. Pretty much, this is just talking about the rest. So all this is explaining what Moses did. After you know the first few verses from one to, um, to thirteen, there about, Amen. So there, God was pretty much instructing. Okay, this is what you do. So they explain what it is. Then the rest of the verse is now explaining how Moses did it. It's not a repetition, but almost seems seems like a repetition, but it's not because there are other details in there that explains a whole lot of things. That God was asking him to build right from chapter 25 up until 40. Amen. Amen. So we see here, or let me say what I'm trying to bring out here is to show us the arrangement of the tabernacle so that it is clear in our mind. So 
Can we now understand what the tabernacle is? I know we already have an expo. So, so Jeff asked you, what's the tabernacle? What's the tabernacle now? In the tent. Okay. Inside the tent, what do you have inside the tabernacle? Okay, now the only place and the most holy place. Okay, let me. I, I have a question, but let me wait. I don't know if I can ask us this question yet. But who knows? Because, because I, I, what the question I want to ask is not specific to just the arrangement. It's not talking about details. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to talk about that yet, but I will. Just to make things clear. Mm -hmm. Now. We have the arrangement, right, of the tabernacle and the court and the furniture is in there. So, if I ask you now, can you tell me the arrangement of the court, what is there, and also the tabernacle? Can we quickly give a summary of that? We're in class today, it's class. Classroom. Not before, we just teach and then go. Today in our class. I'm waiting. Now, this is the point where the teacher will say, Oh, should I call somebody? And do you all remember? In school, in secondary school, that for sure, to be specific, that's how they used to commit all of us. Then we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be hoping the smart the smart one in the class will quickly stand up and talk. Then we'll be expecting, Ah, Shadi, Shadi, stand up, Shadi, Shadi, talk now before all of us fall into trouble. And then Shade will stand up and talk, and the teacher will know. I know Shade, I know you, you know. Sit down. That's not, I'm not looking for you. Like, who else? Do you, all, do you all, have we all experienced that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so today is more like details. So it doesn't seem like teaching, but it's teaching, but just having details. So now ah, I can be at rest now that I've talked about the tabernacle. We understand it, even though we may not fully understand, but at least we have a picture. Of what it is. So when I'm talking about the tabernacle where light is shining from, which you have a mental picture, it should not be confusing. So now, Sanami, it's clear now where the tabernacle, what is the tabernacle, what is the sanctuary? But where is the sanctuary? Because you really just, like from the passage we read now, yes. you just talked about most holy. Most holy. Okay. Now the holy place is the sanctuary. Okay. Right? Now the holy... <laughs> Joy, are you confused? Is it confusing? But you're laughing. Is it confusing? Huh? I heard you said something. Is it? Is it? Yes. Okay. So it's not confusing, right? Okay. So Senna, it's clear. So the holy place is the sanctuary. Now, how you would know that, understand that is. So you've seen how it is laid out in this Exodus, right? Now let's go to the way Paul laid it out in the book of Hebrews. So can we open to Hebrews chapter 9? John, John, John. 
Amen. So we read from verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Then verily, the first covenant had also... You know what? Let somebody read it. Me, I read it too much. Can you help us read it? Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service mm-hmm. and a worldly sanctuary. Or there was a tabernacle made first where it was and the stick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. You see? You see how Paul laid it out, right? He said, in the, tab- in the tabernacle, wherein the first, right? The tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick, right? The, and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. Now, if you go to Exodus, right? You see that the way when God was arranging the tabernacle, after the veil, he put in the table, the candlestick, and the altar of incense. Right? Now, if you just this is just oppose, if you just oppose the two, or at least lay the two upon each other, you notice that the, that particular part that they are talking about in Exodus, where you have the table and the candlestick and the veil. Then that room is what Paul called the sanctuary here, which is different from the room which had the hack. Now, that room is called the most holy, right? Or the inn, inside, inside, the inn of God. That makes sense, right? Uh, now, said in verse 3, can we read it? Veil, mm-hmm. the which is called the oldest of all. Okay, you see, say, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the oldest of all. You now notice that Paul called the two tabernacle here. <laughs> so when we are talking about the tabernacle, they can be referring to the holy place or the most holy place because the tabernacle contains both so Paul is saying here that there's the first tabernacle there's the second tabernacle right Mm -hmm. the first tabernacle is the holy place the second is the most holy right so when we hear tabernacle let's not be confused the word tabernacle right encapsulates both holy and most holy place. But depending on the characteristics of that place, they could be talking about the holy place or the most holy. But you can see here how Paul described the characteristics there and also how God set it up. The characteristics of the holy place is contains the candlestick, right? The table of the shoebread and also the altar of incense. Now, when you're not moving to the most holy, the character, or the character there is the ark of the covenant. Amen. So we cannot see here that this is where Paul tells us clearly that the sanctuary is the first tabernacle. So when you say first, that means it's coming from the court inward. Does that make sense? 
It means that when you're coming from outside, when you enter the tent, the first that you hit, that is the holy place, which is the sanctuary. So is it clear now? This review we did throughout today is already one hour, so I don't think I don't think I'm going to I'm going to talk too much, but we'll see if we can just move forward. Amen. Amen. Um, so we have the the arrangement of things in here, right? And this picture is clear for all of us. So if I say, can somebody now t- just quickly de- describe? The court and the tabernacle to me. Now, can somebody quickly help me with that? Yeah, go ahead. So, eh, court. <laughs> you know, I call you a tabernacle. I didn't hear that very well. Okay, before we get to the tabernacle, who can explain the court for us? That's where the Israelites are. That's outside. Okay. The court is not actually for the Israelites. The court is for the Levite. But the Israelites can come into the court when they want to offer sacrifices. Now, the court separates Israel from the tabernacle. Does that make sense? So you have the court that separates... You have, it, you have the expo in your book, Right? <laughs> That image you draw, or you drew, gives, gives an expo there. Right? So the court is what separates Israel from the tabernacle. It's like a, the court is like a yard, a big yard. Inside that big yard, you now have a tabernacle in the midst, towards the end. Not really in the center, but towards the end, towards the north. Right? You have the tabernacle there. So the courts have its characteristics or have things that characterize the court, right? You have the... What else do we have there? You have the lava? You have the altar of... Of brazen altar. And then... And then what? I think that's it, but I was just asking. So you have the veil, Right? After the veil, you have the brazen lava, which is the lava which they mentioned in Exodus chapter 40, right? That the Lord said they should put water inside, which Aaron must wash in before he moves into the holy place. Right? Then you have the altar of burnt offering. That's where the burnt things. Paka, 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 you burn. Those are things, those are sounds you hear. They, they are killing the animal, they are cutting it, taking out all the guts, taking out the fat, putting it upon the altar. Put, uh, there's no kerosene, but I'm just saying, you know, put kerosene, light it, start to burn. Hmm? They are burning it, it's a burnt offering. Amen. So they burn things there. In the, there's another altar inside in the holy place. That one is all, that one is altar of incense. What they burn there is incense, not things, not fat. Does that make sense? They don't burn flesh there. It is in the outside court that they burn flesh. That's what they burnt, the altar of burnt offering is for. That they burn flesh there. 
So by the time you move into the holy place, you are becoming more spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So when you get to the altar of burnt offering, they'll carry the flesh of the animal. They'll carry the fats. Yeah? Just go and read Leviticus. You go. And you see, you see the details of these things there. Right? So they take the fat out. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a specific area that God wants. Hmm? Take the fat upon the liver, right? They'll say, take that fat, burn, they'll burn it upon the altar, right? Now what they take in, inside into the holy place is blood. And all those things have its significance. With regards to souls, now everything that happens in the court, into the holy place, is like almost is the journey of believers. All the seven that you see, the, that when you look at, you just think that they're just clean animals and it is us that they are clean. Oh, have you not heard where Paul said we are? We are what? We are, we are what? And led to the slaughter. The, okay, thank you. Thank you for that scripture. And it means that you are weak. There's another one. Yeah? Okay, that, not that one. Okay. But I mean, we can also use that. But there's another scripture. We are led all day long. It's the same one. It's the same passage. Just as we did not mention that beginning part. We are led all day long. So that's those ships and now we. We are actually good before we. We are good before we turn to sheep. Yeah? Mm. The goat go turn to sheep. The sheep they go slay. It turn to blood. Mm? The same way the priest, the high priest is still talking about our journey as well. Amen. Praise the Lord. But today we are not talking about that. Right? I'm just making making just those arrangements clear. Yeah? So right now, we understand that the court, right, separates Israel from the tabernacle. Now, inside the court, who we have in the court are Levites, right, who take the sacrifice Israel brings. So when Israel comes, they come to the court, they, the Levite will carry the animal from his hand. Ah, thank you. Uh, you want to offer a sacrifice? No problem. We'll take it from you. We'll help you with it. We, we know how to deal with this. Bye-bye. Right, then they so Israel is really ignorant of what goes on in that place. Does that make sense? So, an Israel, as an Israel's the life of an Israel is really outside the court, they don't have any life inside the court because nothing about the court, the only, the only thing that they, they have to do inside the court is to come there. And offer sacrifice. They're not the only one that will do the sacrifice. They have to give it to a Levite. A Levite has a life inside the court. That is where their ministry is, right? Because they know what to do there. You now realize that what separates all of them, Israel, Levite, priest, high priest, what separates all of them is light. And what, that, what does that mean? 
What does that mean? With regards to the soul. Exactly. It means that what separates all of them is knowledge. Then God is showing that both by both physically and spiritually. By the, by the way he arranged people around the tabernacle. Israel can come inside the court. Also, they can come inside the court, but they don't have a life there. Right? Now, Israel and the Levites, they are under a particular light, which is the sun and the moon. Does that make sense? Then when you move into the into the holy place, right? When you move into the holy place, then you have another light inside there. It's called the candlestick, which was which we we are seeing both in Hebrews and Exodus here, right? Now, and those things are things that minister, they are ministries, which ministers to the soul. Does that make sense? Now, you have that, and then inside the most holy, there's another light there. And the light there is not a light you can see. It's not a light that you can see physically. God moved the light there entirely spiritual. The more you move into the tabernacle, the more spiritual your light is, or the more spiritual you become, the more spirit you are. You notice that the more you journey, the more spirit you acquire. So when you move into the court, you gain more spirit, right? You are becoming spiritual. So you now understand that scripture in Romans that said to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Right? And then we began to talk about movement. Or when you talk about life and peace, it's called the life of Christ. And then that, that life that typifies the journey of a believer from the beginning, right? Of entering the court into entering the tabernacle. And then getting to the second veil that breaks into the most holy. Right? Now, you now realize, I mean, those things, we're not, we're not just saying it just to affirm. They mean something. When they say spiritual, right? The more you move in, the more spiritual the light. The sun and the moon, natural. You move into the holy place, the candlestick. Is that candlestick, you think a candlestick is not natural, it's spiritual. According to scripture, right? Now those candlesticks are actually, can, those, those light represent Holy Spirit. Right? And Holy Spirit is a spirit. So it is a light of a spirit that that candle light typifies in the natural. Does that make sense? So, when you now move into the most holy, you don't see any light there, but there's a light there. The more spiritual you are, the more visible the light. Why? Because the light inside the most holy is the light of the glory of God. Meaning that if you can engage glory or relate with glory or begin to fellowship, or you have, a, you have an audience with the glory, then you can see the light of that glory. 
Does that make sense? Now, what that typifies is that your nature is not ordinary. That nature is a spiritual, the most is the most spiritual nature to detect glory. Or what you call image, which actually receives glory. Amen. Amen. So, the more you move it, the more spiritual you become. And the more the spiritual the light. And then the more invincible the light. Now, to explain that, you notice that when the light, the sun and the moon, when they shine, it's not not invincible. When you shine, you see me again. But when you move into the only place, the only light there is candlelight. That's an invincible light in a way. Why? Because the light in the holy place is dark. Like I was explaining the last time, if you have a very dark room, not turn on candle, you, have, you, have, you realize that you still have darkness in the room, but there's a light there. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You still have darkness, but there's a light. Just enough to see so that you can have a perspective of the, of the building, right? Mm-hmm. But that light, what that, what it gives a sense of something hidden. Does that make sense? It means because the light there is dull, it's not bright. Like it's not, it's, it's becoming more spiritual because it's not natural. It's not, it's not like the natural light of the sun and the moon. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Then the light there, the room inside the holy place is dark, but the candle lights it up. But we have darkness, and that's what I refer to as darkness where light is shining from now when I said God who had what commanded light to shine out of darkness I'm saying that the scripture is referring to where a light is referring to a place where a light is shining from and the place where the light is shining from is the sanctuary or what we call the holy place. Whose light there is the candlestick, which God must command to shine to a soul. Why? See that light, it seems weak, but it's powerful. It, it actually signifies hidden. Why? Because you don't see it when you are outside. Right? You don't see it when you are outside. Outside the court, or even in the court, you don't see it. But that light has the ability to shine from the holy place to souls, even outside the court, that is under the light of the sun and the moon. That tells you that that light is spiritual and it is hidden. Does that make sense? Because you don't see it. It is invincible. The only time you get to see it is when you have become spiritual and you have journeyed to the holy place. Then you are like, ah, so this is the light. That has been talking to me since. <laughs> but you don't know. Right? So to a soul outside, the candlelight is invincible. So when I said it's a spiritual light, it's now clear, now more clear now by this example. It's spiritual and it's, it's actually an invincible light. It's spiritual. Because it's shining from a place you can't see. And the, the method of it shining, right, is not like the natural, the way light shines naturally. 
Does that make sense? Because when light shines naturally, it just beams. Right? It shines when the sun rises, like you see it beaming upon you, you can see, you can tell. But the way God shines this light is different. He, he has to command the light to shine from that place to his soul. Then when he commands that light to shine, then the soul that is seeing that light is the only soul that can interact with that light. Now that does not mean that other people are not seeing that. I'm saying that the, that the, the ministry is isolated in the sense that it's not everybody that sees that light by nature. Right? God needs to command that light to shine upon his soul. Amen. So when God commands the light to shine upon his soul, then the soul begins to use a different kind of sight or light to live. Or we have a potential of living by another form of light. Because apart from the light that is evident, which is the sun and the moon that everybody is using, the, the person is now exposed to a different one, which is from a different source, which nobody else can see. Unless God has commanded the light to shine to you. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. And then the soul can begin to relate. I mean, ah, something is different here. That's the that's manner by the ministry. Yeah. Whereby the light that we are used to mm-hmm. is light of the sun and the moon, right? Mm-hmm. And then when another light is beginning to shine, then the soul begins to wonder upon that. Mm-hmm. Something is different. Ah, I mean, ah, something is hitting me. There's another. Ah, there's something different here. There's a, there's, there's, a no, something, there's something I need to know. It's the same way that causes heart that to be dissatisfied with the norm. No. Yes, sir. I begin to pant and search for God. Is that actually the effect of that light? Wow. Mm. Say, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Is that light that is causing a heart to behave that way? Because wow. as that light is beaming, you know, the soul is not really seeing it yet. But this light is doing something to the soul. And then, then the, light, the light, the soul will be saying, okay, let me search for God. Oh, God, I want to know you more. Then all of a sudden, God will command that light. Boom! Oh yeah? Shine further. Mm. Then the soul will begin to have a fixed sight. That sight that is being fixed is as a result of that light shining that God is commanding. Why? Because those lights are actually sights. Now, in scripture, Light is sight. So when we say light is knowledge, it is also sight. Because knowledge is sight. When you see, you know. And the, the, the way I usually explain it is aha moment. You when you say, aha, I get it, I see. It means I now know, I understand. Let me use the word understand. Because in, in scripture, knowledge, the way knowledge comes is different from the way knowledge comes in the natural. Yeah. Spiritually, knowledge mm. is not the first thing you encounter. Mm. In scripture, it is wisdom you first encounter. Does that make sense? Mm. <laughs> then, Wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, before you don't get to fear of the Lord, and then knowledge, spiritually. But in the natural, knowledge is the application of, sorry, wisdom is the application of knowledge. It means you have to have some information, knowledge about some things, because you can then 
have a wisdom about it, but that's not the way it works in the spirit. Spiritually, it is wisdom first before knowledge. But in the natural, it is knowledge first before wisdom. Amen. So I didn't intend to go further deep into, not deep, I didn't intend to go further to talk about this, but I think it's still part of what we're learning. I'm going to stop for today because of time, but I, I think uh, we have laid a foundation concerning the, just the way things are arranged in the court and also the tabernacle. We have certain definitions of things uh, much more than we, we used to. Now, I just want to make sure, do we all have a clear understanding? Of those those arrangements now, it is clear. Okay, um, this might be a little bit extra, but I just want to ask: Do we not have that? Not maybe not fully, but to some degree, based on maybe what I've mentioned, do we have a sense of how that applies or relates with our soul, or the ministry to his soul? Does that make sense? To some measure. Okay, what can we remember regarding that? I'm closing the next two, three minutes. So, who would be bold to speak? You know, in, you know when when God wants to send somebody, He doesn't usually say, "I'm sending you right now." He usually say, "Who shall go?" Yeah, who? But but God God is really telling the person to go. You know, you know, in in is in in, in because God has all forced people in Isaiah. He must be. He must be willing. Remember, we read in Exodus twenty-five. Say God. It said, "Ask them to them that will to, to ask an offering to them that will give willingly." <laughs> you get okay. Now in Isaiah six, and then after the cleanse is more than everything, I said, hmm, "Who shall we send?" Right? You know, you know that kind of a question. Where you say, hmm, "Who shall we send?" And then the, you know, maybe your maybe your mother or dad say, "Ah, who shall we send?" And then they are looking at you. They didn't say they want to send you. Was, hmm, who shall we send? Question. And then it's like they want to make you make sure they want to make sure that you answer. And you too, you are there, Miss. If you don't answer, you know that they will, they will, they will, they will label you. So we ask, who shall we send? And you are there, and you don't answer. And that thing will speak to you. Then you see, you know, you have no choice but to come. Eh, that day I'll go uh, before. Go. Who are they going to send? So now, who shall answer for us? Everybody is covering face now. Who shall who shall quickly help us today? In the next one or two minutes. I mean, you don't have. It's okay. So the question is more about the tabernacle and the, the furnitures in there. Do we have an I just an idea? Especially, particularly, if not all the furniture, particularly concerning light. If we have an idea of how that relates. To the soul. Especially if you go to first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter four, verse six, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. I mean we can just explain that. It should be fine. I mean Okay, I guess Christ's soul. Okay. So um just like you said, so if God is going to shine out of um Out of the sanctuary, so that person, someone that can commune with that light, yes. is a Christ or is in journey of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in regards to their soul or the level of growth in their soul. So okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. 
So, <laughs> Robert Sagi. Okay, no, wala. no problem. So, I think that's it. And I can't remember. I think there's something someone mentioned, but I can't remember. And it's regarding, I, I think it's also regarding the light, right? And the way the light relates with us in such a way that I think, I can't remember the statement. And I wanted to ask the question. But I think the idea there in that was that the, the light, that light shining from out of darkness, right? Is the light that um, that is for those that are maybe outside the court? I can't remember. I hope maybe but I forgot. Remember, but I just wanted to clarify that area of how that light in the holy place shines. That those that use it, right? It is not really the primary light, right? That those people outside the court use. The primary light of the soul. When you talk about journey, is so that is beginning to encounter that light has not yet fully gained the light of God or the light of Christ. Right? It's like this. Somebody is using the light that is outside God, right, to live, or the natural light. Or let me put it this way, a twisted light, right? Then the, a light is now beginning to shine to them. It doesn't mean that immediately. Ha! Tell her that it's shining to me. Oh, yes, now I'm a part of that light. No. There has to be some negotiations, some conversations that has to happen in the heart, right? By the reason of the light. Before the soul even agree to begin to use that light, begin to use it to journey, right? And then after they have used it, they've gained mastery to some degrees when they all of a sudden they, they realize the light itself. And by the nature, right? For example, they are using the light right while they enter the court, right? But they've not seen the light. When they enter the most holy, did not realize, ah, so you are the light that has, been, that, has been, that has been calling me out of the other one that I've been using, that I've been taking steps towards, right? Mm-hmm. See, that kind of realization it talks about a soul on a journey. When he sees the light, he has not fully, even fully come into the, into the full measure of it, but he's been using it gradually. As he's using it gradually, the soul is journeying further, is moving, right? So it means that there's still some level of blindness in the soul. Right? Until the soul fully sees the light. Ah, this is the light. By the time we are getting to see, actually see that light. Now, what that what what means when you are actually getting to see that light, what that means is that you are actually now in the holy place. Because you don't get to see that light if you are not yet in the holy place. But that does not mean you are not walking with that light. Right? You might have been walking with that light right at the moment you enter, because it's the light that negotiated you coming into the court. Then you begin to use the light to move and move to make sure you enter the holy place. Once you enter the holy place, you are not the same kind of person. You've changed. Then when you enter there, because when you enter there, you are now a priest. Does that make sense? And a priest uses the light a priest uses is those candlesticks. So by that time, the priest is already accustomed to the light. He has this. He has. He's seen. Oh, this is the light I'm using. Right, but he's still he's still journeying in the holy place. But before he got there, he was an Israel. He became a Levite, then became a priest. Those are different level stages. Even at that instance, the soul has not yet seen. When I say seen the light, does not mean that. When I say seen the light, I'm talking about being in the same place where the light is shining from and see and having like having a a heart to heart sight of it. You know what I mean? But of course, that light shining to the soul is making the soul to see, right? 
<laughs> so there's a difference in the scene that I'm trying to explain. The scene I'm saying is that you know where the light is and where it's shining from. When you know that, ah, this light that has been calling me, so this is where you are, you already know. You're already using it. It's part of parcel of your life. It's no longer strange to you. Before then, that light is strange. It is very, very strange. Because that light is what begins to instruct a soul differently from the way the world is. And imagine what you have been used to is the world, right? And something else is telling you to live differently. It will be strange to you. But this is not how we live. This is not normal. That's not the normal way we people live. Uh-huh. Something is happening. Then, by the time, okay, let me trust. Let me trust that light. Okay, let me use it. Ha, this is different. That means it's giving me another sense. Ha, okay. Okay, so the world will live this way. Okay, this is the way God will live. Ah, okay, I get it. Ah, but normally, this is the way we know. Ah, okay, oh God, thank you. Okay, let me try and change. You see, those are things that happen in the soul. And as the soul begins to yield and change, all of a sudden, it becomes more accustomed with that light. Then it gets to a point where they have mastery of it. Because it is now the light they normally use. It doesn't mean that they are perfect yet, but it is part, the light is it's no longer strange to them. They know the light. The light knows them. They are still negotiating things. It is no longer as dark as it is before, where they are not in the only place. They are not seeing it. They don't even know what it looks like, but they are, they are still trusting it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I just wanted to explain that aspect of the way the light interacts with a believer. Amen. Praise the Lord. Are we blessed tonight? Yes, Let us begin to bless the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise tonight. We thank you for your mercy and for shining your light upon us. Thank you for speaking to us and making these things much more clear to us. Thank you for explaining your light, explaining the, the place where this light is coming from. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your mercy and your kindness. We thank you for the help for clarity tonight. We say be that we exalted in Jesus' name. Father, we pray, O Lord, for the ministry of the word and of these things which have been spoken. We ask, Father, that you will cause your spirit, even your angels, even to begin to elevate these things, to make these things real, the interaction, both spiritually, even in the natural, to us, the interaction, the movement, and the yielding of our soul. Father, you will cause us to begin to move more spiritually into things that you are saying and speaking to us. We pray, Father, for the light and the understanding of your word, even concerning these things, much more than we have heard tonight. Thank you, Father, because you've answered our prayers. I pray, Father, that your light will continue to shine in our heart in the face of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, because you've answered our prayers. For in Jesus' mighty name, we are praying. You dwell between the cherubim, shine for. You dwell between the cherubim, shine for. You dwell between the cherubim, shine for.